everybody. Welcome back to the Pilgrims and Prodigals podcast, and we're going to get it rolling. We're running about two and a half hours late here. We're supposed to start at 11, and it's about to hit 12.30 in 15 minutes. So so we're going to pray. Oh, did I say two and a half hours? <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I think you need to pray too, Keith. <laughs> yeah. We're, me and Ben are both a little frustrated right now. His computer decided to update in the middle of about to record and then technical difficulties happen on my side. So anyways, welcome everybody to the uh, Pilgrims of Prodigals podcast. So we're going to get started what, what is here. This, like episode six? This is episode six? I think six. Yeah. That's intense. I'm not doing that stupid intro that I did. I, it doesn't even feel natural anymore. <laughs> doesn't even feel natural. This is the new intro. I'm making a new intro to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the Technical Difficulties Podcast, where we are just struggling through a barbed wire fence full of technology, and uh, we're you know being disemboweled by delays of all kinds, and we're just happy to be here with you guys. Uh, Keith lost a leg. I lost an eye, but we're here, and yeah. We're happy. To, we're happy to be here. All right. Now that I've got that out of my system, I said that I was happy. Mm-hmm. Let's do. Let's do this. Thing. Welcome to the PP podcast. Okay. Yes. Yes. Oh, I can. Ah, I can. I can smile now. We said PP podcast. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Keith. Obviously, Ben's here, and we've got Joseph in studio, aka my living room again. And we're going to continue our conversation that we started last week about apologetics and. I'm going to get into some arguments and stuff like that. So we're going to yeah. have we're going to have some fun today. Okay, I'm ready. I'm All ready right. for this. Let's let's argue. <laughs> um Yeah, let's just jump into it. Okay, so what is first on the list for us, Joseph? What are we talking about? Uh I think it'd be appropriate just to do a quick recap of some of the things that we talked about last time. So, um just briefly, you know, we talked about just in general, you know, how apologetics should be used, essentially what scripture says about it, um, just the importance of science and philosophy and how we approach our faith. Uh, one of the things that I neglected to mention that I think is really, really important is that, you know, kind of as we approach apologetics and take a look at, you know, science and philosophy is that um, I think the appropriate way to look at all of it, the appropriate lens is that really science is just kind of a means to an end, uh, to understand the mind of God and draw closer to him. And if you take a look at the scientific revolution, uh, some of the greatest minds, you know, Galileo, Isaac Newton, uh, the greatest uh-huh. discoveries in their eyes were ways that they could see into the mind of God and how he designed the universe so that they could, uh, better understand our creator. So... Um, I, I think that's that's really important for us to kind of take a look at science through that lens. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. I definitely, I think that uh, science is there for us to help understand the world around us, which, in my opinion, includes God, just based off my experiences. Do you think that uh, those bros back in the day, Galileo and Isaac Newton, do you think that their bias had any impact on their scientific discoveries in light of God? Do you know if they were Christians before their discoveries or do they, when, 
when did they get converted? That those thoughts just interest me. Yeah, I mean, I think most of them had some theological backing before they made those discoveries, and I mean that really, and that's what's so interesting about the topic of faith and science is that. Uh, the the ongoing narrative today is essentially that the two are incompatible. Faith and science, you know, faith hinders science and science mm-hmm. advances society. And that's just, that's what we're all supposed to roll with. Yeah. Whereas, you know, yeah. when you take a look at the the main people in the scientific revolution, it was it was the exact opposite. Their faith compelled them to make scientific discovery. They wanted to know how the universe works so that, uh, I mean, because if we believe that God created the universe and, you mm-hmm. know, we see all this design in it, then that means the more we study the universe, the more we understand about God. So, I mean, it, okay. it, for them, it was a, a means of understanding God better. Gotcha. So their faith kind of predicated uh, their scientific, uh, you know, discoveries and, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things. But it's, just, it's interesting that when you take a look at the historical side of things, it's totally... Uh, counter to what the narrative is today. Yeah. So my yeah, question sure. is, um, so scientists today take more of a Darwinistic or atheistic look on it. The dudes back in the day took more of a theological look on it. Um, in your opinion, Ben and Joseph, like if someone were to like say some dude from another planet didn't know anything about theology or anything like showed up on earth and they were like a scientist and just looked at the things around them. Do you think that that would lead them to think that there is a God or that, um, like toward, like towards like the theory of evolution? Mm, Oh my gosh. (laughs) What a great question. I I don't know. I mean, Joseph, if you have a response, cause I, I'm, I'm still processing all that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, taking a look at it through the lens of scripture, I mean, um, I forget exactly where it's at, but I mean, Paul says essentially that, you know, God designed the universe in such a way that we're without excuse that when we take a look at it, uh, you know, he has made himself, uh, he's revealed himself, uh, you know, invisibly through the divine attributes that kind of go into creation. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what each individual person comes to, uh, you know, without any bias, it's a little bit it's a little bit hard because uh you know there's no biblical model in which there's anybody that's totally without bias because uh you know i mean old testament's predicated on god revealed himself first just mm-hmm. you know personally and you know now that you know sins enter the world and you know he's uh, you know, distance himself and that he doesn't commune with us in the same way per se that you know we there's a lot of it that we kind of uh can use nature. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a different means of discovering him. So whether or not yeah. you know somebody who's totally unbiased would come here and that would be the conclusion that they would draw, I don't know because you know what, it's hard to say what thoughts would enter the mind of such a person. But yeah, uh, I think I think I think that there would be if someone came here completely unbiased and looked at the world and looked at humanity and the rest of the universe and just had. If it were possible for someone to have no bias whatsoever and examine these things, I think that for the most part, their science would be able to explain 95, 90% of what's going on around them. But I think there would still be so many unanswered questions, and the questions that don't have answers from science, in my opinion, are some of the most important ones. Like, why is it that, why does it seem like uh, these 
humans know what they ought to do, but still in a lot of instances don't do it and then are depressed about not doing what they should have done, what's the motivating factor to like all the concepts like courage and honor and loyalty and family and kindness and all of that just doesn't seem, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I personally am not a scientist and I don't know a lot about science. I'm not even really that smart, but those are the questions that get me like, how did we evolve in such a way that allowed us to know what we should do yet still do the other thing because of a reason? Yeah, for sure. And when you're talking about like the Bible and morality and stuff like that, like I feel like those are good answers to the question. But for me, like where I was directing that question was more of like a scientific looking at the scientific side of it. Like if I, I feel like if I looked at, all the evidence towards creation, like look at all the arguments and scientific discoveries that that lead towards like a creation as opposed to the scientific discoveries that lead towards like evolution, whether it's from bacteria or from a fish or whatever. I think taking everything into perspective, not even just because of my views on faith and because I know I am a Christian, but Mm-hmm. take all that out of the question i think i would have to point towards like creation because um you can look at the scientific structure of anything and even even when you look at it down to like the molecules or the atoms you don't you can't look at you can't determine where it came from like even if you like the best example i ever heard was like if you take a rock dissect it you can know the composition you can know the makeup of it you can know the molecules every atom you study everything about it yet still not know where that rock came from and still not know like like we talked about in the last episode that law of irreducible complexity like it all comes down to something had to start it all for me and take faith out of the question i mean it just makes sense to me to say that there had to be something that started all of this. There's no way that, and I don't even understand how all that works, but there had to be something that, that started everything because it just doesn't make sense that everything came from nothing. Like, yeah, yeah. I can agree with that. To think about it long enough, there, there has to be an inception because it just, I mean, even science would for the longest time pointed us towards something like the big bang where, the universe began from what is pretty much nothing. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, I, I could agree with that. And I think, you know, another point is like, uh, it's the only note that I really took down for all this, but like science itself can never disprove God. Like there's never going to yeah. be like Darwinism is never going to find like the one pinnacle, the holy grail of evolution that's going to disprove divinity. Like, that's never going to happen because you can know everything. Like, we could learn all of the scientific discoveries about us, about Earth, about the universe, and still not be able to deduce, like, well, where did where did it all come from? Even if you go back to the Big yeah. Bang and, like, you know everything just like spawned like where did all that come from and take it down to like you know people say where it was just gases floating around an empty void where where those gases come from where did that empty void come from it's kind of like an unanswerable question that even as like as people who believe in like divinity and like religion and stuff even i can't fully 
answer that question of where did it all come from? Because I just believe it all came from God. And yeah, where all and that came from, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Like, I feel like I just have an answer one step past an atheist. But even because then you pose a question, well, where did God come from? And we look at the Bible and it's just like, well, he's the uncreated one. I don't know how all that works, but it's just what I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's almost like you search it back and back and back and it almost becomes an unfair question because you're like, well, where did those gases come from? They came from God. And if we're allowed to ask that question, atheists should be allowed to ask the question, where did God come from? And I just think that line of thinking going the whole way back, it just, it ends up being muddy. It doesn't really give you an answer one way or the other, but those unanswerable questions that like just your logic in your brain tells you there's an answer, but we can't find the answer. I think that no matter who you are, atheist, uh, Buddhist, Christian, whatever, there's some form of unanswered question that just like the answer has to be divinity, whether that was a divine probability that will never, ever happen again in a million, billion, trillion years that created everything or divine laws that govern the universe, like gravity that made it create itself or whatever. It's all looking to something that's far beyond us and our comprehension that we didn't establish and is greater than us. I just believe that that was a guy who loved me, made me and created me. And, uh, I just really, and that's, that's been my experience in life. The things all the way down to my personal life, the experiences, the sorrow that I've been through, the, the joys that I've been through, all of these things, the spiritual experiences I've had, they lead me to believe that that divinity is a person who is God. It's not a, it's not a person. It's not, it's not a probability that lacks a personality. It's a, it's a person that has a, you know, is in somewhat of control and is interested in my life. Yeah, I guess really at the end of the day, when, when talking about science, it's it's not really a question of can, can science prove God. I feel like that's that's kind of the wrong question. I feel like, like I said, science really is just kind of a, a means to an end, and, and so really it's just kind of where where does science lead us in thought in general? Um, you know, yeah. there's there's so many things that science just can't even touch. You know, I mean, m- most true. most models of science, you hear people talk about, you know, empirical provability and stuff like that. And I mean, this is a this can be a bit of a drawn out thing. But, you know, yeah, if when you when you talk about what different ways can we discover truth? Uh, in fact, you mm-hmm. know, Keith and I had a conversation uh, with a friend uh, about this not too long ago. But, um, you know, when you talk about empirical verifiability, so what can I sense or what what can I uh, you know, gather from my five senses that I, you know, can like see and experience tangibly. The mm-hmm. problem with that is the, it was called the, uh, em- empirical belief essentially. So if you are a pure empiricist, uh, the problem that you face is that, uh, that it's a, it's a philosophical belief and you yeah. can't prove a philosophical belief empirically. So the question yeah. kind of arises whenever I talk to people who are pure empiricists is to say, can you improve to me? Can you prove to me empirically that empiricism is the best way to discover truth? So you, you can't do it because it's it's a Bruh. philosophical question. It's you know it's, it, it doesn't fit the category. So it's it's yeah. a self defeating premise for discovering truth. If that's all you're going to go on, uh, there's so many things you know whether it's God or not that you just can't discover. And one of those things that you talked about is um, morality, and I think that that's. In my opinion, one of the most compelling 
arguments, yeah. I think, for God. There are so many things that, you know, we assume every single day uh, that are intangible, non-physical concepts. I mean, you have morality, you have mathematics, the laws of logic. All those things can exist uh, separate from uh, what what we have here physically. You know, that, that kind of goes into yeah. the uh, naturalist, materialist view on the world. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, because you can go into mathematics and the laws of logic, but again, I think because I think morality is just something that's so driven into all of us that I think mm-hmm. that that one tends to be the most compelling, especially when you're talking to people who you uh, you know philosoph- philosophically disagree with on the topic of God. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Hey. Uh, uh, yeah. No. Say what were you going to say? Do your thing. I was just going to agree that I can agree that morality and the whole. I concur. That whole of that, that whole is kind of what pulls me in the direction that I've gone, and it's not science because one, I'm not smart enough to craft my whole worldview with science, and two, I don't think that I want to be smart enough because, like you said, I don't think that I can empirically craft an entire worldview that has all the answers or even has more answers than another well, philosophical. I think, I think like you're never gonna get. Oh, and people are going to hate me for saying this. You, I don't think Uh-oh. you're ever going to get oh, smart enough to prove God. You're never going to learn the – just like evolution is never going to find that pinnacle piece of evidence that's going to prove that religion is false. I don't think religion is ever going to find that pinnacle piece of evidence that proves that evolution and uh, other stuff is false. Because what it comes down to is God – doesn't make logical sense when you think about it like when you just look at the big picture of it of like oh yeah there's this uh entity that's beyond anything i could ever imagine that created all of this and he's watching me all the time everything that i do and i mean all of the sarcastic remarks that atheists come up with are completely logical because logically it doesn't make sense but it's like what you said before it comes down to the experience it comes down to that like if i if someone were to ask me why do i believe it doesn't come down to i mean obviously morality and all of that have an effect to play in it because science cannot you know pinpoint morality and talk about where that came from but what it comes down to is the experiences i've had with god proved to me that he is a supernatural force that is outside of the natural realm of thinking so for yeah. me, the experiences that I've had, they uh, solidify that God that doesn't seem logical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I and this is I, this is the final point I'll make on this, and then Joseph, I want to let you get back in the driver's seat. Is that um, that for me the the thing that I always come back to whenever I have these kind of discussions or have these thoughts just in my life when I'm like, well, is God real? Let me think about it. The thing that I come back to, especially when it comes to scientific evidence, is the the verse that says, um, for now we see dimly, um, and as in a, like for now as we see dimly in a glass, but soon we will see him in his fullness, and when we see him, we'll be made like him. That verse that says, now that we see dimly, I think it has everything to do with how limited tangibility is. Like we have such a limited tangibility as humans when you start to think about supernatural things. And even 
even an atheist is limited in how much they is tangible to them. So there has to be some type of conjecture or to use Christian language to be some type of faith that based off what we have, I don't know the answer, but based off what I have, this seems to be the answer. And that's just the, that's why we have these conversations. That's why there's a disagreement. That's why there's so many different religions is because we see dimly as in a glass and it's not, it's not all laid out. And I don't think God wants it to be. There's another verse that says, um, it's, uh, it's the pleasure of God to conceal a thing and it's the pleasure of the King to seek those things out. And I honestly think that God is not trying to like, Hey guys, the answer is this, 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 and that, and that indefinitely is just the answer to the fact that I exist. You're welcome. Mic drop in the cosmos. I don't think that thing is out there and I don't think that we can really, I mean, we can search for it because I know people are going to keep doing that, but I think that science is much more, it's much more good at adding clarity to the conjecture that we've created. I mean, generally it just, there are empirical facts that are not challengeable, but I don't think that there is an empirical fact that can lead me to believe or not believe in God. That has to be the human element of what I would call the soul is where you make decisions like that. And that's, that's, that's where, that's where I'm at on that whole issue. Yeah. And something that you mentioned, I think is really important, especially when, when we're talking about apologetics and we're talking about, you know, winning people over is that, um, you know, everybody kind of has their own, way that they will accept different things. I mean, I had mentioned last time, whenever I start a conversation with somebody, I, I you know, I've, I learned this. And I, it's kind of, I think, the best way to start a conversation off. Uh, and this is a tactic that um, a guy that I follow, Frank Turek, uses whenever he goes and speaks at colleges. Is whenever he faces some strong opposition, one of the things he'll, he'll kind of stop and he's like, well, hold on a second. Let me just ask you straight up. If, if, if Christianity were absolutely true, would you become a Christian? Like, if it were, if it were, you know, if I could absolutely 100% prove it to you beyond a shadow of a doubt right now, would you become a Christian? And sometimes he sincerely gets people that just say no. And because that, that ends up kind of being the test of whether or not they're open-minded. And, and I yeah. feel like that's a really important test of whether or not you decide to pursue a conversation with someone is because there's a lot of people who like to argue for the sake of argument. Mm-hmm. And, and no, nobody wins. You know, you're, you're wasting oh, your yeah. time. They're wasting their time. Um, well, that, you know, that really is a huge price tag to put on any kind of conversation where you're like, hey, everything that you base your whole world on, if I prove to you that you're wrong, will you forsake everything you've known your entire life and admit that you've been wrong for X amount of years? It, even for me as a Christian, that's like a huge challenge. If a scientist can prove to me that there's no God, would I forsake everything I've known and built my life on? That's scary, but it's where we have to live. We have to go there and we have to live there because that's the only way we're going to figure out truth. Yeah, if we're going to call ourselves truth seekers, I mean, really, it's are, are we are we looking for truth in our lives? Because, I mean, when when Jesus makes a statement like, you know, calling he calls himself truth, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we believe that God is truth. And so, I and again, I, that being the big part of our faith where we're not called to have blind faith, we're called to constantly be seeking truth. Absolutely, um, and so you know, it's really are are we on a truth quest or a happiness quest of you know trying to just do go along with whatever is going to make us happy in the moment, or mm-hmm. really seeking out like trying to get some solid answers. 
Yeah. And so kind of as a follow-up to that, to that first question, because it is a big price tag, but again, that's just kind of, you know, where are we at? Do we, are, do we really care about what's true or not? Yeah. Uh, but the, well, so the, the follow-up being, you know, because again, different people have different ways or that they would personally find something to be um, compelling to them. And just kind of saying, well, what what methodology or what what form of you know which avenue of seeking the truth would be most convincing to you? Um, mm-hmm. You know, because for example, there's a there's a prominent atheist, Michael Shermer, who you know he and there are, there are others out there as well that make the argument that any miracle or argument from for God is indistinguishable from what could be considered an argument for aliens. And so, yeah, it's true. Well, the problem with that is, though, is that in that argument, uh, what he the the big problem is that the methodology does not allow for the direction to go to God, uh, because what you ultimately face is, you know, it it all depends on you know necessarily how how you define wh- what is this alien that we're going to you know define it as. Because uh, yeah, yeah. if we're talking about you know just. It's some physical being out there that, you know, drops, you know, like the panspermia idea drops seeds for life on Earth. Uh, the mm-hmm. question, then the question is, you know, well, who, who created those aliens? Because when, we're, when we talk about the whole of creation and yeah. that everything that is physical had a beginning, you know, that's where when we yeah. were talking about yeah. where does God come from, the, the answer is I think that that's where we really have to be clear in how we define our terms. You know, when people are talking about, yeah, you know, yeah. the, uh, it, you know, the sky wizard, you know, daddy in the sky, whatever, that's totally disingenuous <laughs> to yeah. what the actual biblical definition of God is. Yeah, what we're talking yeah, about when we say God is a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, you know, intelligent creator. Uh, and so, so if you're willing to say that that's what an alien is, that some something that's outside of our dimension, spaceless, timeless, immaterial being then yes, I guess you could argue that aliens created Earth if you're willing to let the definition of an alien encompass what God is. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what we that's what we define as God. So, and that on that sense, we're making the same exact argument. And so, what's yeah. the problem with calling this alien God at that point? But there that's that's not what they mean when they say aliens, though. So again, hence the problem. Yeah, yeah. Dude. Is this because? Yo, yo, bro. So, what would you do if you figured out that God was an alien life force and we were seeds planted on Earth by this alien life? Have you ever heard about that theory? Okay, (laughs) this is just hypothetical. Like, what if this were true? Okay, so there's this theory that there's actually... There's actually a planet that revolves around – I've actually looked it up. There's a theory that there's a planet that revolves around our sun and another mm-hmm. sun, and it comes around every 2,000 years, right? Mm-hmm. So the theory is every time this thing comes around, there's an advanced life form that lives on that planet that drops off knowledge or agricultural advancements or, like, different stuff like that, like – what if? What would you do if you figured out that were true? <laughs> so you're saying like, so Moses was an alien, then two thousand later, two thousand years later, no, the Jesus aliens, was the aliens spoke to Moses, bro. <laughs> oh, the aliens spoke to Moses. Then the aliens spoke to Jesus, and so like now, since yeah. two thousand la- two thousand years later, they're speaking to Donald Trump, right? That's it. Seriously, <laughs> sent sent from the aliens to advance culture. 
I feel like <laughs> I feel like Joseph Joseph is like sitting back on the couch and like shaking his head right now. <laughs> no, if you get on the Pilgrims and Prodigals page, you can actually see us live. We're broadcasting. So what? Uh, well, I'm. I have my headphones plugged into my phone on a Skype call. So hey, everybody. Um, <laughs> anyways, so my other thing was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Okay, so, so all that is obviously just a bunch of baloney. I'm just trying to make a joke because you guys are <laughs> too serious. One. It was a good so. one. Yeah, no, it was a good one. Thanks for, light, thanks for lightening up the mood, man. That's right. Anyways, so technically by definition, isn't God an alien in our definition? So first of all, if he is outside not just our world, but outside, outside of space and time and matter itself... That definition, wouldn't that make God, by definition, an alien? I mean, if we're willing to have the argument on those bases, I think we could absolutely have that argument. What or would be discussion your, or what would be a counter argument for that? Because I've already got one. What would you? What do you think? A counter argument for is God an alien? Yeah, is he outside of space, time, and matter? I mean, obviously he is, but my so yeah. okay. So my counter argument to that would be that he is. But also he lives inside of us and we are made in his image as well. So technically he's not alien because if God's alien, then we're alien because we are made in his image and his spirit lives inside of us. So he's alien, okay. but he's not alien. Okay. So he's alien to everything else in the universe, but we are his. So we're therefore not alien to him. Jeez, oh, my brain hurts. Stop, stop, stop debating with yourself, Keith. Um, so, yeah, well, I know one of the things that we had talked about that we, that we wanted to kind of go into today was just the, the topic of morality. And, yeah. um, you know, how, how does that play out? You know, what uh, is, is the existence of morality an argument for God? Uh, you know, and just kind of what what all that looks like. And like I said, I, I think that this for me personally is the most compelling argument, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, because it, it opens the door to, uh, you know, admitting an immaterial reality that we live in, which, yeah. you know, opens the, the next door, which is uh, God. And ultimately, the ex- I believe the existence of morality points to God. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So just to kind of lay out essentially what the moral argument is, um, is that because we have uh, objective moral values, um, that uh, God exists. And uh, because without, without God, objective moral values couldn't exist. But we accept them. Those are things that we use in every single uh, – just our everyday lives. Um, so – you know, but so basically, the other side of the argument is: well, everybody has a different sense of morality, therefore, uh, there is no objective morality out there. There's no objective standard that exists. Uh, yeah. So, gosh, what are you doing, Keith? He's he's drawing on the Facebook live feed and putting a hat and pink beard on me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this Anyways. is some really intellectual crap. Yes, you got it going is. Here, people, it's, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, what we what we have to take a look at though is oh, what, what does that say? Oh, make America great again. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there. <laughs> Thanks, uh. Keith. <laughs> 
so the important thing that we have to take a look at is you know yeah. what what's and the topic of morality what tends to be the most commonly brought up objection to god is the existence of evil um you know a lot of people say how can we have the the biblical idea of a loving god and have there be so much evil in the world um Stephen Fry was asked if if he were to you know just meet God at the pearly gates you know what what would he say to God you know and he yeah. was he was like uh, you know bone cancer and children like what's the deal with that why why yeah. would you let such terrible things happen and so you know and that's that's hard you know yeah it's it's that the most is hard that's it's the most compelling argument but at the same it's also the hardest one to address because pain and suffering are it's it's hard it's because it's so real it's just the the raw the the most raw thing that we have in the experience of being a human yeah yeah, Um, absolutely i mean just mortality itself you know children are born and die i'm gonna die that whole that's not an easy pill to swallow that i'm just gonna be gone forever and so i think the argument that a lot of atheists would go to is that because there's evil and mortality and life is just over and dead that's why there's no governing force running things because it's so terrible yeah but the the problem is is when you when you take a look at um you know the the argument for the existence of evil is that uh the really the logical outworking of it actually ends up being a positive argument for god because if there is such a thing as evil then that means we also have to admit that there is such a thing as good and if there's such a thing as good, then that means that there needs to be a moral law to be able to uh, distinguish between what's good and what's bad. So there needs to be some kind of standard that we can look at to say, by this standard, if something doesn't meet this standard, then it is evil or it's not good. Um, yeah. And so if we take a look at, you know, if there, so if there's a moral law, then there needs to be a moral law giver. And the, this moral standard that we talk about is God's nature. Uh, it, it is God himself. Um, and he, naturally, he's the moral law giver. So, uh, you know, all of that kind of flows in the direction of, you know, sure, you know, evil sucks. It's, it's a terrible part of the world that we live in. But it, it is absolutely an argument for the existence of, of God because we can't admit that evil exists without also saying that good exists. Um, okay. That. So I totally agree, but just to kind of like play devil's advocate, I guess. So you said that there, if there's moral law, there has to be a moral law giver. Why? Why does there have to be a moral law giver? I mean, objectively speaking here, because if if there is a standard, again, a standard that exists beyond uh, what we uh, would otherwise have as, as human beings, uh, again, just the idea of, of laws and rules come from uh, rule and law givers. Uh, I was told to let you know, Ben, that you are really fuzzy, so if you could try to reduce some background noise, that'd be great. Um, right on. Uh got you yeah um so i mean it's it's like uh when you know we have the a lot of moral prescriptions in in the bible um Mm -hmm. you know things that essentially that you know god has said that the the terms and conditions of our relationship with him uh that you know we we kind of need to fall within certain boundaries i mean that's just how relationships work in general um 
And so we're given kind of that moral code to stand by, but that moral code to stand, I mean, so, I mean, there's, there is the giver of that moral law. Um, you know, you don't, you, you have baseball and there's, you know, the rules of baseball that come out, but I mean, there's, there's a, a, a group or, you know, whatever there's officials out there that are the ones that come up with the rules. So there is rule givers. So when we say that there's a moral law, there is a moral law giver who is God. So I hope that kind of answers your question. So it just follows the pattern of all logic, which is whenever there's something that exists, it was that makes sense and is well thought out. It was created. Okay. So in that aspect would also not just some moral laws, but do like scientific laws. Do you do those as well point to God? Because they had to have a creator as well. Scientific laws. I mean, even theories like gravity and laws. I don't even know all of them. I'm not smart. <laughs> okay, but that's my question. Uh, again, I mean, when it comes to scientific uh, laws and such like that, again, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, what what is what we can observe in the physical. And so... Uh, again, I think that, that that's something that can lead you towards God. And, and I, I mean, ultimately, you know, we naturally believe that uh, God set up the foundation for how, uh, you know, the, the laws of physics work. Uh, so, I mean, the end, I, I mean, the answer is yes, I think. But, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where when you when you get down to the to the nitty gritty, when you're talking to, you know, skeptics, you kind of have to be careful about how you talk about it, because naturally they're not going to be necessarily inclined to say, that, uh, you know, God is the one that is responsible behind the laws of physics versus when you're talking about things, you know, like intangible things like morality, justice, you know, stuff like that. That's where you kind of have to go into the realm of the non-physical and the, you know, uh, things that we can't necessarily prove and test in a, in a lab somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, too, like, even in, like, laws of physics and stuff like that, that kind of proves God as well because... I mean, there had to be someone who created those. I mean, even going to the theory of, I mean, it's crazy that gravity is still a theory, but anyways, it is. Is it? Law of gravity, yeah. Oh, I thought it was still a theory. It evolved. It evolved from uh, the theory to the law. Okay, anyways, so you have other stuff like that. Theories and laws, scientific stuff. I mean, I think as well, like, that points to God because... I mean, someone had to make those as well. It's not like we just created them. I did. I mean, Isaac Newton or whoever discovered gravity. They didn't. They didn't just see the apple fall from the tree and then, or they didn't make the apple fall from the tree. They didn't create that law. They didn't make gravity happen. Yeah. It was. It was already happening, and they just observed something that was already happening and put a name on it. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's that's where I'm getting at. It. Uh, I guess I was getting at earlier is it just seems like to me all that stuff that's hung in space, the law of gravity, which just is a thing, the the way that electricity works and the nature that it bears in reference to gravity, all of those things, no one created those or crafted those. No, nothing like that happened. They've just always been. They had to have always been hanging there in space since the beginning of this existence no and i i i think earth is flat i think no god (laughs) i think i will call that i think that's divine the fact that those laws joseph 
<laughs> I think I think that's divine that all those laws were just there that no one started them or established them. They just have existed since existence has been a thing. Yeah, because the thing that's, is that's like divine with, to me. That points to God. Yeah, that because the thing is with like baseball rules or whatever laws like political laws that are created. That's to me not the greatest example because those laws were made. Those were things that people yeah. thought out and passed. But I think when you go into laws of nature, laws of reasoning and morality, that even mm-hmm. takes it a step further because those are laws that no one created. They just observed and saw happening and observed it in such a way that they could not deny it and put a name on it. So mm-hmm. to me, like those, you know, scientific laws, more morality laws, like different stuff mm-hmm. that's happening that we have no control over that to me even more points to God because we did not make those, those were already happening. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think I I agree. Joseph, I want to, I want to pose to you guys, one of the, um, you know, the, the dilemmas that's kind of put out there by, by atheists talking about, you know, objective versus subjective moral standards. Um, if you were to find out, that uh, God doesn't exist, would you just completely give up, give up your morals? Would, would you go out, you know, raping, pillaging, doing all that kind of stuff? Uh, no, because I would probably be killed for violating probably everyone else's I bubble. <laughs> I, I, if God didn't exist, I still... Well, uh, I wouldn't go rape th- and kill, but dude, if I wasn't going to... If there was no punishment for sin, if there was no punishment for whatever the heck I wanted to do... Like, look at the movie Purge, dude, and they've made multiple of those. Like, take away the penalty of crime, and people are going to go do whatever the hell they want. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I totally I totally agree to a certain extent. Like, I would definitely change the way that I live and make it more about my pursuit of safety and security and not about honor and courage and all these other things that we – deal with i would have no reason to be loyal unless it served the fact that it made me secure and it made me it gave me pleasure so i would just start seeking different things i wouldn't want to be anything worth mentioning i would just want to be happy and safe because there's still the consequence of dying and if i just go shoot and rape and kill everything i'm definitely going to get shot and raped and killed back i mean (laughs) you don't have to even take it to that extent but like i mean look at um, look at Romans 12, where it talks about the characteristics of a Christian, not to be envious, to be nice to everybody, all these things. And that's just a characteristic of what a Christian is. Now, if the, if you find out that the, a Christian doesn't even exist and you don't have to be nice, you can lie, you can steal, you can do what you want. Now, if it's not objectively hurting anybody, are those things okay to do now? I mean, honestly, dude, it switches. It switches to that. I think. I mean, uh, idealistically, it switches to. I just want to be safe and I want to be happy, and then I'm going to die and it will be over. Exactly. If there was. I to mean, me, that's, that's what it comes down to. So, it does. If God's not real, it doesn't matter if I steal. It doesn't matter if I'm envious and jealous. It doesn't matter if I lie to people. And well, there's still consequences for those things that will be exacted on you by the culture that you wrong. Exactly. I mean, there, I'm going to have – there's still consequence, but the consequences, they come off of the eternal thing. And so what I do in secret has no – I mean like what, what I do in my life that doesn't affect anyone 
that has nothing to do with any part of my life because there's no external consequence anymore. It's not like I die and face a God after it's over. It's just – so I don't think that I would lose all my morals or the things that we call morals because I still want to be integrated into the society that I'm a part of. But I mean, hey, if God it wasn't a thing and all of society turned into raping, killing, pillaging – then uh, I would have to rape and kill and pillage to survive. <laughs> yeah, because what's what's interesting is really the you know the the atheistic the atheistic argument really is that you know when basically what they what they end up saying is that uh, you know because you would change your morals then that really must mean that you don't hold your hold your morals now in such high esteem and what does that really say about what you think now. And, and honestly, what it is—it's just a cheap shot. But it, it's one that, unfortunately, I've heard. That's a pretty prevalent objection. I mean, I know that uh, I've, I've heard Richard Dawkins use it. Um, and you know, because one, one of the things that I think is is a really big thing is you know, I think Jordan Peterson, who's a—I believe he's a professor from Canada—he lays it out really well. You know, it's that really I think atheists in, in Western society have really taken for granted the the moral fabric that has been built by Christianity being so prevalent in it and I've, I've heard a lot of different voices even from agnostics and you know skeptics that uh, you know when it, when it comes down to it when we're talking about the moral fabric of society is that really you know of course the Christians have had done more than their fair share of like terrible things and have not you know oh, yeah. done done the what is the the logical outworking of what the gospel encourages us to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I don't think any intellectually honest Christian will will agree with that. But overwhelmingly, though, just the principles that we are given, prescribed by uh, you know Christ, and just what our what our faith in in Christianity is, is has ultimately brought society into what what it is that we have now, where you know we have things against you know raping, killing, pillaging, all that different kind of stuff. And yeah. and so really, it's just it's it's kind of taken for granted as a as well. Of course, we wouldn't do that. I mean, that's just totally barbaric. Well, the only reason why we got to that point is because uh-huh. a divine source told us that that's not the way that we should live. Um, yeah, I, I will say I will say that most atheists and most everyone, if there's behavior that they disagree with or would call immoral or bad or you know just wrong. I think that most of their objections are objections that agree with the scripture that like things like uh, hypocrisy and uh, bigotry and all of these things the scripture disagrees with. And when they ascribe to say, I disagree as well, they kind of just line up with the Bible. I mean, the Bible is not a bad instruction book on how to handle life. Really. It's, It's pretty good as far as, Will it make you a effective part of society, and is it wise to follow what it says? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it just makes sense. I mean, now the the whole aspect of like, there's a God that told you to do this. That's an argument for another day. But what we have just in like instructional value is extremely valuable, and I don't think the atheists disagree with the instructional value. They just they disagree with the eternal accountability. And life after death, really. Yeah, and, and what I don't want anybody to hear me say is, I mean, uh, you know, people people say this a lot, and I, I, I don't, I don't know how much they they really necessarily mean this, but something that we absolutely must not say because it is so untrue is that uh, atheists don't have morals. I, I've I've oh, been guilty, yeah. but when when I when I didn't know really how to adequately express what I meant. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been guilty of saying this before, and I, I've, I've really hurt some people that I, I care about. Um, 
we that is that is one of the most ridiculous things you can say there there are atheists out there that are more moral than a lot of christians out there 100 um, they just have their anchor in a different spot yeah in eternity and, and that's and that's where because that's the conversation that we need to have is is what's your anchor because when we're yeah. talking about subjective versus objective morals you know there are some atheists out there like uh you know sam harris that say mm-hmm. that there is objective morality out there but he bases it on human flourishing, which, I mean, the the sad thing about that is that's a that's a very subjective uh, basis of you know why why human flourishing why not cockroach flourishing uh, you know so you have to get into why we should you, care about you have. You have to believe that humans are more important than something else, yeah. In order to make that objective, yeah. So you're so you know he bases it on on a philosophy that is very subjective versus uh, we would establish our sense of morality on the objective nature of God, um, and yeah. so yeah. I mean, just the, the the big point to make though, just you know when we're when we're talking to atheists and when you know just skeptics in general, I mean, you guys know this, but. It's just that is just such an insensitive thing to say, and it's just totally not true. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Quick, really quick, I have a couple yeah. notes because I wanted to say a bunch of stuff while um, Joseph had the microphone. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> I have Joseph at my house. I only have one freaking microphone, so we're just trading it back and forth. Okay, yeah. so on that idea that because we uh be, because that I don't have the natural inclination to always follow my morality disproves it. Um, no offense to anyone who believes that, but that is just stupid because I'm an imperfect person. God's not real. But the thing is like the Bible is riddled with people who didn't follow their morality in spite of having it. So Mm -hmm. if I had a natural inclination to follow morality, I wouldn't need a savior. If everyone was already perfect and did the right thing all the time, Jesus would have never had to come and die because people all were already doing the right freaking thing. So if anything, the fact that I don't follow morality just shows how much I suck. So the fact that I don't always follow morality, it doesn't disprove God. It just shows how horrible of a person I am and how yeah. great of a God that God is. I mean, look at yeah. uh, I mean, look at the nation of Israel, dude. Like throughout the entire Old Testament, it's constant blessing, reprimanding, blessing, reprimanding, and to the point where their entire nation was taken away by Babylon and then restored to them again. Dude, if they like if they they knew who God was, if they had that natural inclination to always follow morality and be the perfect people, then they would have done it. And Jesus never would have had to come and die. They would have never had to have been reprimanded. They would have stayed the sovereign, amazing um, country that was over the entire world for all of existence. But they yeah. did it oh, because of their good stuff. Yeah, but that's those are just a few points that I had. Um, we're gonna have to bring it to a close here soon. We're right at like fifty minutes, so okay. Can, can I have forty five seconds and then we'll sign off? Do it. Okay. All right. So I want to say that I have heard the argument made that morals are just instincts that people follow, and that's why there is morals are instincts. But that's not true because if we know what we ought to do. No one does what they ought to do all the time, so your instincts are working against 
some kind of moral objectivity that's placed in you. Well, just Saying the fact that, that uh, one one second, just uh, the fact that we say it's ought to do points to that because if if it was if we already did the right thing, there would be no such thing as ought to do because that leaves the option for something else to do. Yeah, you don't you don't violate your instincts. You, uh, I mean, animalistic instincts are just things that you do. So morals are different than instincts, and that's not the way that works. The other thing is that to address the fact that evil exists in the world. God just told – I mean God. <laughs> Keith, you're God. Keith just told a story. <laughs> Keith just told a story about how God chose a people and those people went through hell because they couldn't get their life right and just yeah. make smart choices. Well, that right there goes to show that what God wants doesn't always happen. The fact that anyone could die and go to hell is is just evidence that God is not in – iron-fisted control of the universe. And so I speak to the evil that's in the universe, and I say, God's not an iron-fisted control that stops those kind of things from happening. Bad things happen to good people because God isn't just saving every single soul and blessing every single Christian that says that they believe. He's not doing that because he's not an iron-fisted control. He is the ultimate authority but for the sake of the world, he is not an iron-fisted control of everything and every little drop of everything that happens here. So you can't ascribe all evil, everyone that burns in hell. You can't ascribe all of that to God. You can source it back to God and say that he created the world, that he created the opportunity for good and evil, but he's not. that's not how he operates. You can read the Bible and find out that good stuff doesn't always happen to good people, which is what God obviously wants. So I just to speak to the evil— it's because God's not in in uh, micromanaging control of the universe. Boom. All right. Okay, so All right. I'm done. Joseph, any last thoughts real quick before we wrap it up? Yeah, just a few final thoughts here. Um, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting. There, one of uh, on, on YouTube, one of Robbie Zacharias's most famous videos is a student coming up to him and asking him, you know, what are why are you so afraid of subjective morals? And I think Robbie, he he had what I, I think most people would agree is the perfect response to it. And he asked him, "Do you lock your doors at night?" Um, you know, and the guy responded, well, yes. And so it's just, it's a, it's a perfect example of, you know, we talk about things on, on large scales and small scales. One of the important things that we need to do is when we're talking about this stuff is to speak in the terms of the person that you're actually conversing with. So he turned it around and made it a personal question for the questioner. Uh, you know, and, and Jesus did that a ton too. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really a great way to engage people and have conversation is that if you're not, uh, applying, the uh, the theory that you're saying, so if you believe that there's subjective morals, but you're living your life in such a way that you uh, are going about as though there are objective values, then you're being hypocritical of your own philosophy. Um, Nietzsche, uh, you know, is famous for the quote, God is dead. Um, but the thing was, you know, a lot of people think that that was kind of a triumphal statement of like, you know, that's it's so great that we killed him, but it was actually kind of more of a sombering thing because, you know, he, he predicted a lot of the violence that this subjective sense of morality was going to bring. Uh, more people were killed in the 20th century than the previous 19th century combined because what humanity for the most part decided to replace God with was the state. I mean, and that's a whole entire political conversation I don't necessarily want to go down in, but it's the idea of when we remove God from our sphere of how we live our lives and what we ought to do and what ought not to do, uh, the the thing that we put in his place is almost always going to bring devastation and ruin. And in, in this case, I mean, it's just, you know, China and uh, Russia, it was, you know, in the 19th century, it was, or sorry, in the 20th century, it was 60 million a pop. 
that they that they killed of their own countrymen. Um, and crazy, yeah, dude. it's it's really really sombering stuff, and it's just it's it's practically unlivable. And so, um, and it, it really what it is is the it really is the logical outworking of subjective morals. And so, um, you know, it's. So when we when we engage people, it's just really important. Um, you know, there. It's important to distinguish uh, the successes of an objective moral standard in uh, in society. So I mean, we believe in justice, and I think that that is. I'll, I'll finish with this: is I think justice is the most interesting thing that everybody agrees with you know we have social yep. justice movements that are out there you know yep. it's, it's interesting that as as prevalent as subjective morals are in our society that there's at the same time just as prevalent a sense of justice out there which yeah. are a huge contradiction because justice implies that there's an objective wrong that has been done that needs to be made right um yeah and so we we need to be able to tackle some of these inconsistencies that we see in our culture um, you know, but again, as, as we're, you know, engaging individuals, you know, just ask the questions, what does this mean to you? Uh, how do you grapple with this? And, you know, are you being consistent within your own view? Um, you know, and it's, I, I think that we can, we can have some really good conversations. I've had some really good conversations. I think it's, this is one of the, the better ones I think that we can, that we can use to really, you know, win some hearts. Yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. I think that's a good uh, one. Yeah. I'm not trying to cut you off, Ben. We have a minute and a half before we have to wrap this up. So thank you, Joseph, for being on the show. And we have had a great time talking to you. And there's like a tons more because I know we just tried to shove like so many words in that last like 15 minutes. I anyways. know, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, it was a good time. Had a great time. It was really fun. Absolutely. I appreciate you, Joseph. Thank you. Yeah. Anyways, everyone, uh, we're going to have the Facebook live video of this podcast up on the facebook page so check us out see how handsome my beard looks um and joseph is in here too you know say hi joseph hi anyways so yeah hit us up like yeah seriously if, if you, you listen if you if listen you, to this guys communicate with us on the facebook page seriously if you want us to talk about something post on there if you just want to like ask a random conversation go ahead and do that too like don't don't feel like you can't talk to us so for everyone who's yeah. listened Thank you so much for everyone who's um, still listening. And if you're enjoying the show, let us know if you've got any constructive criticism. If you think we suck, well, you're wrong because you need to stay objective. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there's no empirical evidence for that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good one, guys. Yep. See you, man.